Welcome to Archetypes and Anarchy, a podcast created by me, Courtney Floyd, and my Introduction to Fiction students at the University of Oregon in spring of 2018. Episode 16, The Tale of the Fisherman. Hello and welcome to the Archetypes Podcast. We are Group 4. I am Sean McPherson. I'm a freshman student at the University of Oregon. Uh, I'm Ethan Weiss. I'm a freshman here at the University of Oregon. I'm studying pre-journalism right now. I'm Nico Shimono. I'm a freshman at the University of Oregon, also studying pre-journalism. I'm Bo Scott, also a freshman at the University of Oregon. Currently, I'm focusing on mathematics. So today on our Archetypes podcast, we'll be discussing um, major archetypes that we found in our source story, which comes from the the big story of Arabian Nights. Um, Our source story is the story of a fisherman. And uh, within the fisherman, we'll be talking about the cultural context, the historical context. We'll be performing the story of the fisherman, and we'll each be performing a close reading of our own of the story of the fisherman. So let's get started. so in order to get some cultural context about the story, I visited the preface of this story at sacredtext.com. From there, I got a quote saying, people in different countries tell them differently, but they are always saying the same stories, really, whether among little Zulus at the Cape or little Eskimo near the North Pole. The changes are only in manners and customs, such as wearing clothes or not, meeting lions who talk in the warm countries, or talking bears in the cold countries. So so today's story will be focusing on the retelling. This is a retelling of the original Arabian Nights, which came from Middle Eastern poets in the 9th century. So um, what this quote tells us is that while these stories are going to be a little different, um, both these historical backgrounds do have context in this um, overall big picture of the story we'll be talking about today. So let's get started with our discussion of cultural context. So the retelling of our story was written in 1898. So I visited peoplehistory.com to see what global events were happening in that year. In that year, throughout the entire world, the USS Maine exploded and killed nearly three quarters of her crew. That was a big drastic event that happened. Um, Spain declared war on the United States. Um, There were a number of wars going on during this time period. And U.S. President Ulysses S. Grant had just died at this time. So a lot of violence, a lot of tragic things happening in our world at this time. Um, I think a lot more tragic, we'd all agree, than the world we live in today. But more specifically, in the countries that these stories are sourced from, such as the Middle East, India, Europe, China, and Greece, the world wasn't that great of a place. Europe was taking over Muslim and, and health, and there was a lot of violence with the Ottoman Empire throughout these places and much tension leading up to the World War One. Also, there was a lot of wars going on in England, the home country of the translator Andrew Lang. So throughout my close reading, I kind of realized that there was a lot of violence and that was kind of what the theme I focused on. So what do we think, guys, with the cultural context, um, historical background of this story? Yeah, I th- you know, you mentioned all the wars, Sean, and I think that's a that's a kind of a great point to go off of the story overall. I, I think the the main the main thing that we see in the story is just the the poverty of the family. And you start off right off the bat, you see the fisherman, and he talks about how he has his wife and he has his three kids, and he needs to work every single morning going out there and fishing and fending for it in fending for his family. And it shows and it shows him when he gets excited about the weight of the fish and that he knew that he was going to go and he can get the sugar and he can get whatever he can go and trade for to to, to make sure that his family can eat food. And I think it just kind of it just it, it, that it, um, that right there amplifies how much people were in poverty at that time. 
So you mentioned the ninth century. While some of the original stories can actually be traced back to earlier India, Greece, and several other places, the ninth century was when several of the words reliably found these uh, texts. And the ninth century was like in the swing of like the the Muslim Golden Age. For that area of the of the world, every everything was going great. Like like so so much was being discovered. Like so much went into arts and poetry. Like like it's basically like a renaissance for them. And while it may have been the golden age for for that area of the world, it wasn't exactly it wasn't com- it wasn't perfect for everyone living there. There was still destitution among the lower classes who still had that sense of escapism the medieval peasants of Europe had. Reaching back to what you were talking about earlier, um, Ethan, discussing about how poverty played in through um, maybe the historic like the the timing in which Lang. Was, ri- was retelling, also tying into the ninth century in which the story origina- uh, originated. I think it really ties in with one of the major archetypes that I've seen, that we've all seen throughout our class, which is one of the main characters, usually um, the protagonist being a character of poverty coming from humble beginnings to start off the story to really assist with the overall plot line and the rising action to the climax all the way down to the falling action quite an easy character to follow yeah i mean as we're in the discussion of archetypes uh, might as well bring up some archetypes here um i will bring up these in my close reading as will all of us but um i think the biggest one is these stories are presented as life or death so in um in our story which we'll perform in a couple minutes here um it really is just life or death you see the two main characters one of them's gonna die and i think that really pertains to the violence that's going on in the world uh we mentioned the wars we mentioned all the struggle going on um obviously time was much harder in the early 1900s or the ninth century so i think that is really portrayed in these retellings that are from hundreds and thousands of years ago and also modern stories nowadays i think now that our world's kind of softened up and there's less war there's less hatred and there's less suffering aren't as harsh as these stories that we're reading and i will once again we'll see we'll see you guys will see what happens in these stories and how gruesome they actually are and how how death is such a normal thing but nowadays i think the, um, the modern stories really avoid not only the the murdering and the the death but they avoid the sexism and a lot of the things i think as our world has just kind of softened up a little bit and became easier um i think that's a very common archetype that we'll discover today another common archetype we, we saw in the story common throughout was the usage of the genie character and how we introduced to him and when i think of genies and in, in movies and stories i think of aladdin and voiced by Robin Williams in that movie. And looking at this character, it's it's quite different though, because in in the sense you know you you hear about you hear we're going to talk about this in our reading here in a minute here, and you talking about the the genie and how he went back and he was telling the fisherman about how in the first centuries when he was trapped in the in the vase, if he was let out, he would give him the money, he would give him the the kingdom, he would give him all that stuff. But then in the fourth century, when the fisherman finds him, he talks about how he's going to kill him and how it's a different story now. And it, it it it's it goes on to a common archetype, but it changes it. It not, now now it talks about death, and instead of the rather the usual story of the genie and the magic and them and then them granting three wishes every single time they want to, it's in, instead it's about death. And you, Sean, you already talked about death earlier and how that plays such a key role in the story. And I think that also ties in with the character of the genie. Well, speaking of common archetypes, another 
another like common archetype that we can find within the story is the archetype of the guile hero, a, a hero that solves that solves his problems not through physical force, but by through using his brain or intelligence. Reaching back to what you were talking about with the genie archetype, uh, Ethan, I, I think it has a lot to do with the historical background in both the violence in the 18th century and also the poverty-stricken times in the 9th century where the story originated. And I think that has a lot to play with why the genie role was kind of flipped in the script into where it's kind of an antagonist as to where where we where we grew up it being a major protagonist in the stories we I think despite the changes that we kind of see as society moves on we still get the same kind of stories today we still see the same the same kind of structure of these stories how they have an inciting incident they have the rising action they have the climax and they have the falling action and then they have a resolution um, we still see that in these stories and we'll explore that today we also still see how the protagonist always comes out on top and the antagonist usually usually this is the case but the antagonist does not come out on top um, there's always some kind of unhuman characteristic within the fairy tale so we'll explore all these archetypes and you'll see all these archetypes as we perform this story but despite all these societal changes with all the murder and all the death that we see in these stories versus the lack of today we will see that some things are constant in all these stories I, and I think one last thing we should talk about before we enter into our storytelling is is how this story ends because with the with the knights and with these stories how it kind of each one li- leads off with or ends off with a cliffhanger. You never know what's going to always lead to the next story, and we you know we're going to find out here in a minute when we do what we are our uh, storytelling is you never know the quiet ending. So you you, you talk about the regular uh, format of the story that we see the climax and the falling action, the rising action, all that. It's not it's kind of the same, but you also aren't ever satisfied with the actual ending because you don't know what's gonna you don't know what's gonna happen. We well, we also have to remember that has to do with the overarching story within Arabian Nights being that the continuation of the stories to keep this woman alive overall. Right. Yeah. But for, but for us though, in this situation, since we are breaking down one individual story within the the thousand and one stories, it is, it is a little different, but it is interesting to break down the individual story within it. Yep. It is going to be a little different with this story. Um, there are stories within stories, but that being said, let's just dive right into the, the story of the fisherman. So our roles for this story, Ethan will be reading our first two stories as the narrator. He'll be our narrator one. Nico will be reading the second two pages. He'll be narrator two. Bo will be playing the genie. And I myself will be reading um, the script of the fisherman in this story. So let's get to it. Okay, the story of the fisherman. Sire, there was once upon a time a fisherman so old and so poor that he could ever scarcely manage to support his wife and three children. He went every day to fish very early, and each day he made a rule not to throw his nets more than four times. He started out one morning by moonlight and came to the seashore. He undressed and threw his nets, and as he was drawing them towards the bank, he felt a great weight. He thought he caught a large fish and that he felt very pleased. But a moment afterwards, seeing that instead of a fish he only had in his nets the carcass of an ass, he was much disappointed. Vexed with having such a bad haul, when he had mended his nets, which the, the carcass of the ass had broken in several places, he threw them a second time. In drawing them in again, he felt a great weight, so that he thought they would be full of fish, but he only found a large basket full of rubbish. He was much annoyed. Oh, fortune, he cried. Do not trifle thus with me, a poor fisherman who can hardly support his family. 
So saying, he threw away the rubbish, and after having washed his nets clean of the dirt, he threw them for the third time. But he only drew in stones, shells, and mud. He was almost in despair. Then he threw his nets for the fourth time. When he thought he had a fish, he drew them in, and with a great deal of trouble. There was no fish, however, but he found a yellow pot, which by the weight seemed full of something, and he noticed that it was fastened and sealed with a lead with the impression of a seal. He was delighted. I will sell it to the founder, he said. With the money I shall get for it, I shall buy a measure of wheat. He examined the jar on all sides. He shook it to see if it would rattle, but he heard nothing. And so, judging from the impression of the seal and the lid, he thought there would, must be something precious inside. To find out, he took his knife, and with, a little tr- with, and with a little trouble, he opened it. He turned it upside down, but nothing came out, which surprised him very much. He sat in front of him, and whilst he was looking at it in- intentively, such a thick smoke came out that he had to step back a pace or two. The smoke rose up to the clouds, and stretching over the sea and the shore, formed a thick mist, which caused the fisherman much astonishment. When all the smoke was out of the jar, it gathered itself together and became a thick mass in which appeared a genius twice as large as, a, as the largest giant. When he saw a such terrible-looking monster, the fisherman li- would like to have run away, but he was trembled so much fright that he could not move a step. Great king of the genie, cried the monster. I will never again disobey you. At these words, the fisherman took courage. What is this you are saying, great genius? Tell me your history and how you came to be shut up in that vase. At this, the genius looked at the fisherman haughtily. Speak no more. Speak to me more civilly, he said, before I kill you. Alas, why should you kill me, cried the fisherman. I have just freed you. Have you already forgotten that? No, answered the genius. But that will not prevent me from killing you. And I am only going to grant you one favor, and that is to choose the manner of your death. But what have I done to you? asked the fisherman. I cannot treat you in any other way, said the genius. And if you would know why, listen to my story. I rebelled against the king of the genie. To punish me, he shut me up in, the, in this vase of copper, and he put on the, le- the leaden cover his seal, which is enchanted enough to prevent my coming out. Then he had the vase thrown into the sea during the first period of my captivity. I vowed that if anyone should free me before a hundred years were passed, I would make him rich even after his death. But that century passed, and no one freed me. In the second century, I vowed that I would give all the treasures in the world to my deliverer, but he never came. In the third, I promised to make him a king, to be always near him, and to grant him three wishes every day. But that century passed away as the other two had done, and I remained in the same plight. At last, I grew angry at being captive for so long, and I vowed that if anyone would release me, I would kill him at once and would only allow him to choose in what manner he should die. So you see, as you have freed me today, choose in what way you will die. The fisherman was very unhappy. What an unlucky man I am to have freed you. I implore you to spare my life. I have told you, said the genius, that it is impossible. Choose quickly. You are wasting time. The fisherman began to devise a plot. Since I must die, he said, before I choose the manner of my death, I can jury you on your honor to tell me if you were really in that vase. Yes, I was, answered the genius. I really cannot believe it, said the fisherman. The vase could not contain one of your feet even, and how could your whole body go in? I cannot believe it unless I see you do the thing. Then the genius began to change himself into smoke, which as before spread over the sea and the shore, and which then collecting itself together began to go back into the vase slowly and evenly until there was nothing left outside. Then a voice came from the vase which said to the fisherman, Well, unbelieving fisherman, 
Here I am, in the vase. Do you believe me now? The fisherman, instead of answering, took the lid and shut it down quickly on the vase. Now, O genius, he cried, ask pardon of me and choose by what death you will die. But no, it will be better if I throw you into the sea whence I, whence I drew you out, and I will build a house on the shore to warn fishermen who come to cast their nets here, against fishing up such a wicked genius as you are, who vows to kill the man who frees you. At these words, the genius did all he could to get out, but he could not, because of the enchantment on the, of the lid. Then he tried to get out by cunning. If you will take off the cover, he said, I will repay you. No, answered the fisherman. If I trust myself to you, I am afraid you will treat me as a certain Greek king who treated the physician Dubon. Listen, and I will tell you. Now that we're done performing the story, let's transition to the part where we each do a close reading of the story of the fisherman. I'll go first. In class, we have been discussing the common archetypes that are displayed in 1001 Nights, and as I did my close reading on the story of the fisherman, I observed these themes that we often see in these stories. I also used questions from the book Writing Essays About Literature to identify key components of this story, which I noticed episodes 4 and 8 also used. The first question that I used is, what words stand out? Is there anything about the reading that stands out? Well, 1001 Nights always presents storytelling as life or death, so I visited vointtools.org to see the most common words used in this story. The word death gets used four times, die gets used four times, cry is also used four times, vase, which is how they kill him, is used nine times, kill gets used four times, and free gets used four times. So the overall theme of this story, and all of 1001 Night stories, is life or death. The story starts by saying, there was once upon a time a fisherman so old and poor that he could scarcely manage to support his wife and children. So survival is in question from the start. And when he meets the genie, only one of them is allowed to live because the genie presents his situation in which he, he has no choice but to kill him, despite the fisherman saving him. As we discussed in class, great stories are powerful, they can be life-giving, or they can be deadly. And this story checks all those boxes. Someone was going to die in the end. Someone is going to survive and inspire the readers, which makes it a powerful story. The antagonist dies at the end. Well, he is trapped in a bottle after he had just escaped that vase after hundreds of years, and the protagonist fools him in the end. So as you see, the protagonist does win, and he does it in a manner in which he kills the antagonist. Another common archetype in 1001 Nights is that it reflects a world charged with supernatural elements. In the story, we see this genie live in this tiny bottle for centuries and centuries. He turns into smoke when he goes in the bottle, showing an unhuman attribute. How does he even fit in the bottle? After all, he is characterized as a beast and a giant. My final archetype, I found, is bemoaning how unfair it is that the rich live in comfort while the hardest workers live in poverty. The fisherman wakes up bright and early every day to go support his family, in which he is struggling and he's portrayed as this great guy who has an unfortunate situation. One day, he goes out there and catches three things. The first ended up being the carcass of an ass, the second being the large basket full of rubbish, and the third being stones, mud, and shells. The fourth time, he catches a yellow pot that he thinks is a fish, and it ends up being a genie. Usually this could be a good thing, but the genie reveals that he has waited series of centuries for someone to catch him. He pledged to give the finder a wish, or dreamed the first couple of centuries, but he pledged to kill whoever caught him at this point because he's been waiting so long, and that, in this case, it's the fisherman. It's interesting to me because they also call this genie a genius, and him pointing out that he will kill the fisherman makes the readers believe that this play on words hints that it won't end up well for the protagonist in this story. Overall, this is a relationship and an example of the wonderful versus the mundane.
In the end, the fishermen won the battle against the genie, where it seemed as if one of them had to be dead, and the protagonist wins in the end, although it is just a short story. This is a very common archetype in all fairy tales. Another question the Book of Literature asked, do I like the work? Well, obviously, you need to read the entire 1001 Nights to get the whole grasp of this story, but this short story portrayed many archetypes and followed the common story format, as well as the protagonist winning at the end and the antagonist losing. So for me, I found myself liking this story, and overall, I was just at the edge of my seat throughout the short story. And I love reading all these stories because they provide such a different perspective from the olden times in which I didn't live, and they break the archetypes of our society today with all the violence and the fantasy. The last question I ask myself is, do I identify with any of the people represented? In the story, we pretty much only have two characters, both of which have gone through a struggle, but one serves as a hero, while one serves as a villain. I like to think that I'm a selfless, helping person, but I've never been put in a situation where I have to be a hero for my family, in which I'm so unfortunate and I'm given such bad luck. However, I do believe that the author is trying to tell us something in this story. The main message I got from it is that the good guys will win in the end. The fisherman dealt with his adversity in this story, but he avoided death, he escaped the main conflict, and at the end of the day, he did outsmart this genie, and he went back to his family. I find these stories fun to read, and while I do agree with the author's message, I don't feel that I relate to the characters that well in this story because we live in such better times with less violence, suffering, and goriness than that portrayed in the 1800s. Earlier, I actually touched on this archetype. I touched on the archetype of the guile hero, the hero that prevails not because he is not because he is strong, athletic, good at fighting, but because he is smart. He is clever. He is wise. He is able to trick his opponents, and th and that is seen in the, in the fisherman as. If you recall from the tale we recently read, he he defeats the genie by by playing on his pride or by his and his smugness to get him back into the bottle by simply not believing that he fit in there, and and the genie actually fulfills the role of of what is typically taken by say an ogre in in European fairy tales, big, physically imposing, extremely strong, but. But he doesn't display many bright tendencies. He, uh, again, he got tricked to go back into the bottle that he spent four centuries stuck in. So I was actually looking at the Arn Thompson classification systems, and I thought that this story was could be very well classified as a man outwits devil story, as the basic premise of the plot is that a man outwits a genie, with the genie standing in for uh, for what would typically be in medieval fairy tales, an uh, ogre, or or the devil himself, or some old hag. Uh, and again, as we discussed earlier within the podcast, there are there are heavy overt themes of poverty. And initially, you would assume this is the standard rags to riches story, with with this penniless and completely broke fisherman for suddenly fishing up a genie, suddenly fishing up some sort of vase that he suddenly opens and out pops something, and it turns out to be a genie. So you'd think that the genie would reward him, but no. The genie decides to the genie decides instead to just kill him, as he as apparently he just waited far too long, which actually equates quite well, quite a bit to the to the fae of to the fae found in European uh, found in European fairy tales, as they can be benevolent, can be simply malicious, or can just do whatever they feel strikes their fancy. In my close reading of the story of the fisherman, I saw 
quite a few things that were that are seen quite throughout all fairy tales that being one that something we already discussed earlier in the podcast being that of the protagonist being a character of poverty it's something i i i think really is easy for any reader to grasp just with any humble notions of working for one's family and also with the retelling of this story through Lang. I I just think it was quite easy for him to manifest a character like that with things going on at the time where wars were prevalent and violence was prevalent all throughout uh, society. And not to mention... um, the ninth, the ninth century, uh, and where the story originated. Yes, there were golden ages pertaining to the ninth century Arabia, where there may have been quite a few uh, people in the wealthy, in the wealth, in the wealthy class. But there's always people in poverty. There's there've always been people in poverty throughout the time, throughout uh, human civilization, and I just felt like. I just feel, and we've kind of ta- discussed in class, how it's quite easy for uh, a character of poverty to be portrayed as a good character. Another archetype that I saw, or that you can find within this story, is that of the genie being the magical character. For me, the genie, however, was quite different than what I had seen before Uh in stories I had read or and movies I had watched in my in my youth being that of Aladdin where the genie granted assisted the pro- protagonist was a good character uh, this story caught me by surprise by turning the genie into somewhat uh, of a great antagonist throughout the story led me uh, which was a great which was a big factor in giving me interest in this particular story. One thing I caught uh, in my close reading uh, of this of the fisherman story was the has to do with the impatience of the genie and how he went from wanting to grant wishes all the way to wanting to murder someone I kind of you can kind of see somewhat of a foreshadow and somewhat of a lesson you you can see some of the same thing within the protagonist uh, the fisherman himself where he the first few nets he casts uh, you can see he gets he rises in anger over not being able to to make his catch and provide for his family and and ending up actually almost dying by the hand of a genie which you can kind of if after reading the entire story you can kind of see a similarity in both uh the genie and the fishman altogether but in general I th- I found this story quite invigorating for me uh, on the basis that it was a really short story, but not on just length, keeping keeping my attention and keeping me on the edge of my seat the whole time really 
did create my interest and also the fact that it leads into more stories which has to do with that of Arabian Nights and the overarching story for that. I purely enjoyed this story. I felt combined with the length and the easy flow of the reading along, this was a great story to do a close reading on. Before going into my own close reading, I went to listen to Group 5's episode 8. They did a great job discussing a version of Puss in Boots, and I love the overall structure of the episode and how they broke down each of their individual close readings. It's, it's difficult to put together enough content on such a short amount of reading, like in The Fisherman, yet for how short it is, there are many motifs, character development, symbolism, and irony hidden in between these lines. We start out by meeting The Fisherman, this old poor man who fishes every day of his entire life to provide for his three children and wife. We never are introduced to his family, but it amplifies the fisherman as a character you want to fight for. Right off the bat, you are rooting for this old man who all he desires in life is to feed his family. A character many can relate to, not exactly relating to to the actual fishing part, but someone who is a hard worker. Someone who would do anything to support their family, and that is who the fisherman is. This retelling is told in in the 1890s, and that connects directly with the poverty scene at the time in the world. With war being in common happening in this time period, that leads right into the most common factor in the story, that being how poor the fisherman is, the reason why he is fishing every morning to feed and tend for his family. He is a devoted fisherman who fishes every morning, every morning only throwing at his net four times a day, never more than four. I thought that was interesting as, they, as I read it for the first time, feeling that the number four was foreshadowing another part in the story. Turns out it was. When the genie is introduced, he tells the story of, how the, time, of the time he spent in captivity for the first three centuries, stuck inside the vase, and no one freed him. He explained that if he would have been freed within those first three centuries, he would have made whoever freed him rich and powerful. But alas, for the fisherman, he finds the vase in the fourth century of his captivity, just like the fourth net he found the vase in, directly connecting those two. The fisherman sees some dumb luck in the story, starting out by not catching any fish, to eventually catching the very genie who attempted to kill him. As he was fishing, he keeps pulling in his nets to find it is a heavy weight. You will explain his excitement showing how deprived and unnourished he and his family was at the time, how much a successful day of fishing meant to him, also may may be showing that it was a rare occasion due to how giddy he was when reeling it in. The fisherman and the entire audience that already has built an, an emotional attachment are angered in finding out that the nets are full of everything but fish. He then cries to the skies, yelling, why could this be happening to a man as poor as him? How unfair it is. Usually at this point in a movie or or story when the main protagonist yells at the skies, I feel this is when something magical happens, and that is exactly what happens in our fisherman's story. As he is reeling in the fourth net of the day, he finds but only a yellow pot or vase. And now I want to talk about that yellow pot. I thought it was very interesting to see that it was the yellow pot that the genie was found in because of the usual appearance of what a genie comes out of like the lamp we see in Aladdin. This ties into the portion of our episode when we talked about the archetypes surrounding the genie character. The genie is often seen as the protagonist character who helps the poor character become wealthy and powerful. And in the story, that is what the genie original's goal was to do, although the fisherman was unlucky enough to find him in the time when the genie is fed up and now the genie wants to kill the fisherman because of being trapped so long. He made a deal where after the three centuries passed, the fourth century to whoever to whomever freed him would be the person to die. And their one wish they would be able to grant would be how they die. The irony behind that is very cruel because of how much the fisherman needed that money for his family. It's not the type of irony you want to see, but it's, it's still considered as irony. The biggest thing that stood out to me in the story is how, the, how he tricks the genie to get back into the vase. And when I say trick, I mean very easily tricked. It showed that wit overpowers strength, something that is usually not seen in a usual story of a good guy defeating a bad guy. It comes down to the combination of strength, wit, and with the help of a magical companion. That is what you usually see in a story. 
In our story, our fisherman has no magic at all. Instead, he is fighting a magical beast. With the help of no magic, he tricks the genie to get back into the vase, telling him that he will throw him back in the ocean. The genie then, offering for forgiveness, saying that he will repay him. At this, at this point in the story, I thought the fisherman would do it by asking to see if the genie could help support his family. But instead, he wisely keeps the genie in his vase. I thought that part was interesting because we, you, you look through the story and you talk about how much everything related to his family, how much what he was doing in the first place, why he was fishing was to support for his family. And at the very end, when he was possibly given the choice to maybe ask, because the genie does say, I will repay you, he could have taken that opportunity to ask to see if he can do something for his family, if he can maybe provide them with money or food to provide for their family. But instead, he wisely chose to keep the genie in the vase. Probably a good idea because he begins to tell him a story of why he will leave him inside. That's where we leave off in the end of the story. And that's why that's probably the most struggling part for me is because of the cliffhanger you were given between each of the stories. I, I understand it's the format, but for this episode, we are only discussing one story. And in The Fisherman, it does a great job of making you want to hear more. Hey, it's Sean. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and thank you to our many sources that help make this podcast possible. I'd like to give credit to sacredtext.com, tvtropes.org, voyanttools.org, bl.uk slash worldwar.com, and lastly, freesounds.org for the sound effect you just heard there. Archetypes and Anarchy is produced by me, Courtney Floyd, and researched and written by my spring 2018 Introduction to Fiction students at the University of Oregon. Our theme music is Music Box by The Underscore Orchestra, and our closing music is Wolf, It's Really Rather Rad by High Arches, both of which are available under a Creative Commons license at the Free Music Archive. The sound of the wolf that lives in the woods That comes to my back door from time to time Shake the hand of the sun that burns above Reaches down over everyone Got your jekyll and hide, your monster inside Pouring water over your fire I incur us a soul, then I need to go Back into the woods, I'm told Not a single living thing needs to be left out You can find in the garden what's missing in yourself There's a spider web that connects heads Connected by the number nine can you think in visions and breathe in rhythms? Dream an ocean over your lips. It brings a deeper meaning, a powerful feeling. Brings us the myths we're told. And it's only clean water that supports the things that we're trying to grow. Not a single living cell needs to be left out. Finding the garden what's missing in yourself 
have you seen the way the speaker makes a pattern in the sand when the frequency is just right oh man it's really rather rare